Section 18 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sash Elliott. Criminal Investigation. A Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers and Lawyers, Volume 3 by Hans Gross. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Theft. Continued. E. Domestic Thefts. For many reasons, domestic thefts are the most delicate of all thefts. As already stated on several occasions among numerous false charges, the most frequent are, without contradiction, those brought against domestics, and we investigating officers must try to make amends for old sins thus committed by others. We do not say that servants do not thieve, and indeed the proceeds of domestic thefts represent quite a fortune, if we take into account everything that servants supposed to be most honest make away with, such as small sums of money, food, cigars, articles of cutlery, pieces of cloth, and a great number of other trifling articles. But all that does not cause very great prejudice to a master, and it is really impossible to abolish this ancient custom. Our single aim will be to try and repress those grave thefts to which all obliged to employ servants are exposed. The denunciation of a theft committed by a servant and the preliminary investigations of the police are generally of a very summary nature. Such and such an object has disappeared, and it is certain from the circumstances of place and time that the theft cannot have been committed by an outsider. The servant has not been very long in her place. She makes a bold denial. Her boxes are searched without giving any result, but she has had every opportunity of placing the stolen articles in safety, so she is arrested and placed in the cells. The case seems quite simple, but just because the only property of the poor young girl, her liberty and her honour, is in question, the most rigorous prudence must be used. As often as not, the question is not asked as to whether the article is mislaid or lost, or whether the theft does not belong to those delicate cases where the criminals are no other than the children or wife of the victim, nor is it asked whether or not, after all, the theft could not have been committed by an outsider. And finally, the investigating officer does not worry to find out whether or not the servant has had, up to that time, an irreproachable character. Because she has only recently entered into service, that is no reason for saying that she must be guilty, and, because she does the marketing and runs errands, and thus has an opportunity of placing the stolen articles in security, that is in itself no sufficient reason for bringing any charge against her. There is, therefore, properly speaking, no reason to suspect her, and in spite of this her arrest has taken place. And even if there has been some reason for suspicion, let us say the typical reason in such a case, that is to say the discovery in the servant's trunk of the stolen article, or some article which does not appear to belong to her, Action must not be taken too precipitately. 
for it only too often happens that the other servants slip stolen objects into the trunks of their comrades through vengeance, jealousy, or envy. In a well-remembered case, a nursery governess of a wealthy family thus threw suspicion on the housemaid. The governess was a young person of innocent and inoffensive demeanour and irreproachable behaviour. But she had a lover, whom she suspected all of a sudden of not being indifferent to the charms of the housemaid, in whose room their secret rendezvous used to take place. She therefore stole from her mistress some jewels, which she found not put away, and hid them in the bottom of the housemaid's trunk. She had then, with extreme skill, and without any suspicious insistence, awakened the suspicions of her mistress, who, at length, searched the servant's trunk and there found the stolen articles. It was not long till afterwards that the truth came out by the merest chance. We may add that this innocent creature, when arrested later for theft and slander, was found to have syphilis. The surest method in a domestic theft is, as before, to check as minutely as possible all the circumstances in which it has been committed. The antecedents of the servant must be verified with as much care as the amount of the savings that he possessed on entering into service. His expenses should be controlled step by step. Flirting among girls and drinking among men produce here much the same result. The passions are satisfied much more often with stolen money than with money earned with difficulty, and here such expenditure forms in many cases more overwhelming proof than other so-called irrefutable conclusions. A love affair is graver for men servants than for female servants, at least when the latter are not old or ugly and the man is young and handsome, for the lover has to spend money upon his girl and his wages are rarely sufficient. We have already cited the old proverb known among peasantry, when the farmhand steals the wheat, he buys new slippers for his lass. Attention must also be paid in such cases to the expenditure of the lass as well as to that of the servant who is accused. It must also be investigated whether the accused servant supports one or more illegitimate children. A servant's wages hardly suffice for her own expenses, and if she has in addition to pay board and lodging for her offspring, the necessity for thieving is, so to speak, thrust upon her. It is a fact proved by experience that a cook who has an illegitimate child unknown to her master regularly steals the tea and sugar in rations small, it is true, but daily, to help the person who is bringing the child up and keep her quiet while awaiting the arrears of payment. In such a case, the times of absence of the servant should always be checked. They take place with astonishing regularity. They are usually for no purpose but to send the stolen articles to their destination. These pickings may be insignificant, but end by mounting up to a considerable total. If a servant is suspected of stealing the house linen, the soiled linen must be taken into account. Some ladies have been quite comical when they have assured the author that they have absolutely no idea how their linen could have disappeared. I counted, says a lady, the sheets when I gave them to the washerman. He gave me back the same number. I put the same number into the almirah. I took therefrom every week the number necessary for the usual changes. The account was always accurate. Everything was in the best order. And yet here I am with so many sheets short. No doubt, 
but the soiled linen was counted only when it was given to the wash, and the servant had only to steal it from the dirty clothes basket. Again, it is quite incomprehensible how so many mistresses arrange their linen cupboard or almirah like a sanctuary, and yet consider the soiled linen as if, so to speak, of no value. It is thrown, without counting or watching, into an unlocked box or basket, and kept there, often for some time, either in an anteroom or up in the attic, as if it were another thing altogether from the clean linen. The servants profit by this negligence, and hardly ever steal any but dirty linen. If the mistress of the house does not keep count and overlooks this point, the investigating officer should never forget it. In such a case, it often happens that the investigating officer is obliged to check the knowledge of the mistress of the house of the farmer or of the tradesman, and to draw his conclusions from the result of these observations. A servant only steals when he notices a detective watchfulness or insufficient knowledge which he can exploit, and if the investigating officer can establish such defects, he has found at least the facts which have occasioned the theft or have rendered it possible. If the owner of the horse does not know what food a horse needs to look as he ought and do his work, it is not astonishing if the stableman steals from his master when he discovers his ignorance, and if the mistress of the house does not worry about the amount of flour necessary for the preparation of the pastry, she must not be astonished if the cook profits by her negligence. But the investigating officer ought to know all this and take it into account. F. Thefts through superstition. In the elucidation of crime, the question of motive must never be lost sight of, and this rule is peculiarly important in the consideration of thefts through superstition. In the first place, it does not do at once to declare a theft from purely superstitious motives to be a crime. No doubt the thief is a big fool, but at the same time he may be acting in the utmost good faith, a perfectly honest man. At all events, the influence of superstition may be so great as to allow of his offence being considered purely a technical one. A good deal of discrimination is requisite in such cases. The old proverbs, stolen bread tastes the best, and the neighbour's grass makes the cow give the best milk, though acknowledging the dishonesty of the statements contained therein, yet savour a good deal of superstition, and if it could be proved that the bread or the grass was appropriated because of the proverbs, the heinousness of the thefts would most certainly be mitigated. But a great many thefts take place purely through superstition, and may be looked for in circles where crime does not usually exist. We have pointed out elsewhere that weapons used to commit suicide are often stolen for superstitious reasons, and in Catholic countries, many a church has been broken into to obtain some holy emblem deposited therein. The majority of such thefts, however, are connected with love charms and the healing of illnesses. All over Germany, it is believed that much stolen material is to be found in buildings standing on insecure or dangerous ground. According to Wattke, girls carry stolen wood when consulting a fortune teller. Warts are driven away with the help of stolen steak or herring. Stolen grass makes a horse strong and healthy. Stolen manure improves the manure of one's own stable when mixed therewith. Bands torn from the sacks in a mill will cure sprains. 
Many similar superstitions are well known to us, but they are kept secret, so that if, in a certain case, no motive whatever can be suggested, we must not lose sight of superstition and pronounce the case inexplicable. End of section 18